Welcome to The Third Wheel. This is episode, wow, it's already falling apart, seven, eight, seven of The Shadow Rising. Also known as The Last One. The Last One. We're going to finish the book. It's chapters 53 through 58. Uh, I can't count. That's okay. There's like three separate climaxes. Yeah, because there's three separate stories happening. You've heard all of us talk, but I'm Tyler. I'm Bion. And I'm Jesse. Let me go ahead and sum it up and we can get out of here in about three minutes. So some stuff happens with characters that aren't Rand, and then Rand shows up and he's like, I bless the rains down in the Aeel Waste. And then the book's over. Good job, honey. Thanks. I In like the Jesus way, not in like the uh, DMX way. Yeah, just to clarify, Rand is not... Wow, I almost quoted some DMX songs, but I think we'd get taken off any sort of platform. (laughs) Yeah, let's just... Rand is Jesus. I don't know if you know. Rand is Jesus, this just in. Tavarin. Uh, Rand is a Tavarin, which means that he's Jesus. But let's get into the story of another Tavarin with chapter 53, The Price of a Departure. You know, I can't see... I've looked into it. It doesn't seem like anyone else really shares your theory. Which theory? That uh, Egwene and Nave are also Tavarin. Listen, it's literally... I mean... Unsupported. It's anti-confirmed in the text. Because there's no way... That being Tavarin pretty closely mirrors the phenomenon of being the main character in a story... And by virtue of being main characters in the story, they're effectively Tavarin. Listen, it is like explicitly deconfirmed because there's no way that either of them could be Tavarin and not have Suan mention it. Oh yeah, she sees these things. So I'm perfectly fine with saying that like there's nothing to support it in story, but also based on the number of events that they are in... And, like, that they take active parts in and affect the world through, there's no way that they aren't, like, more quote-unquote special than other characters in the story. So it's just a function of being a main character. Correct. Gotcha. Moving on. Yeah, sorry. I'm just really bad at pronouncing main character. Sometimes it comes out as Tavarin. Anyway, Perrin. He's in the Wine Spring Inn. In the men's group. Uh, we can't have any of those icky dieting women at the other table showing up. Uh, He's like falling asleep, sitting up, planning the defense of Iman's field. It's been a week since the last time that we saw him, and things have been deteriorating in the village uh, with more attacks than Perrin can remember. They're also running out of food. Yeah, that's why the women are dieting. It's not just because they want to look pretty. They're having their rations so the fighters can survive. Sorry, did you just say rations? 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 It's pronounced rations. 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 No. They do be rations. No, that sounds like a slur. (laughs) (laughs) During the planning, a messenger bursts into the inn, uh, saying that a man has been found outside the village, and he's got a message that he will only deliver to Perrin, uh, that the guy's going to die soon, so they got to Very vaguely. Yeah. It's like, uh, you might want to go right now. Uh, so Perrin arrives at the guy who is, in fact, about to die. And the guy passes along the message, we're coming. And then he dies. 
parents are like, wow, that's too bad. That's too I bad. It's so vague. I love playing the pronoun game with a dying man. Good thing this man was as specific as possible. Uh, so on his way back to the inn, Perrin gets another message, uh, this time coming from the edge of the village. Once there, he finds that Loyal and Gaul have come back from sealing the Waygate, and they claim that there are several thousand Trollocs in the two rivers. And Lord Luke's like, nah, you're good. Yeah. It's like, nah, dog, look, I killed like four of them and put their heads in this bag. That means we're Gucci. So with this news, Perrin's like, you know what, fine, I'm gonna go to sleep. Uh, so he heads off and goes into the wolf dream to do some scouting. Sounds really restful. Yeah. Uh, I think entering Teleran Riyadh is explicitly less restful than sleeping. Perrin takes a bit to look around the two rivers, and then he finds that most of the villages in the area are having issues, but none are having it as bad as Imansfield. Towards the end of his scouting, he encounters Slayer, and they do the jumping back and forth thing for a bit, which is always cool, and then he manages to hit Slayer with an arrow. Perrin wakes up and finds that Luke has fled with a mysterious chest wound. Wait, Lord Luke is Slayer? <gasps> it couldn't be. Shock. Are you telling me that Lord Luke and Slayer are related somehow? Cue talk of Ben and Glory in season five of Buffy. I actually haven't watched Buffy. I actually haven't Should. watched Buffy. I don't really like Whedon. Oof. Well, then maybe not. It's very Whedon. Yeah, I'm not a fan of him. Um, In regards to the fighting, is it really just about how mentally quick you can be? Because he, he's in his dreamscape. Is it about being able to imagine your actions quicker than the other one? No, it's you're trying to outmaneuver them, but you can maneuver at the speed of thought. So it's not just about how fast you think but it's also about how good your Which thoughts, thoughts are. are having. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I... Minor... Not really minor, but... Spoiler, for the end of the... For Perrin's Wolf Dream power level by the end of the series, it becomes less about how fast can I think about teleporting over there and more can I think harder about this person being unmade from reality in Teleran Riyadh than they can think about remaining in reality. It becomes, yeah, it becomes battles of people just trying to unthink each other. But you also have to be physically fighting because you're trying to distract them. It's a lot like this fight that Nineveh has, where she wins by just throwing something at the other one. Take that, you worm. <laughs> I was wondering, because the comparison between this fight with Perrin and then Nineveh's fight later, I was just wondering how the fighting dynamics change when they're in the mind versus physically real life, but they're still using magical powers. Yeah, it's a lot of the Teleran Riyadh stuff requires the fighters to be thinking on multiple levels at the same time, since thought becomes reality there. Oof. Yeah, so Luke and Slayer are the same person. Whoa. Yeah. Perrin devises a plan to get Fael out of Iman's field before it's overrun, but her price for leaving is marriage which we get to see right before the chapter ends. It's... Uncomfortable. Wow. Is that the word? Know. 
For me, it was uncomfortable because it still seems like they have a lot of communication issues that they haven't really resolved. They're just very physically attracted to each other. Yes. And then also the way she talks about herself when she's trying to propose marriage. Uh, she definitely talks down other women, which I know there's not much solidarity going on here with the whole binary <laughs> gender dynamics. But she's like, oh, I'm not just a slut. I mean, like, I really want you to marry me, but um, I'm just babbling because that's what women do. And I'm just like, oh, I just really want to marry you. Listen to me. I sound like a Domani hussy. Yeah. She does that a lot. She says that exact phrase a lot. It's just like, just accept yourself. You want to get married to this guy for some reason. It's because of the beard. Which which he needs to trim. Apparently. I didn't really like it. Grow the beard. No, not like that. It could be better. But obviously something needed to happen with their whole dynamic, and it gives it a hopeful whatever. Don't worry. You can just spend the whole next book pretending like they're working on it off screen, and then at the start of book six, you can learn the truth that none of that happened. Hooray. Chapter 54. Fayil gets annoyed that he doesn't want to have sex. Yeah, don't worry. They will later. That one you can definitely assume happens off screen during book five. <laughs> Chapter 54, Into the Palace. Elaine, Nineveh, and Eggie Jr. are being escorted into the Panarch's palace by Beldomon and his men. Once they arrive, they change into servant dresses and begin their... This is a sneaking mission. The plan is to have Elaine go get the Panarch, Nineveh is going to grab the male Adam and the seal, and Eggie Jr. is going to run interference... In case they need muscle. These are the worst people to do subtle. Oh my god, they're all so bad at <laughs> they're it. They're so bad at it. They're so dumb. And, I mean, Iggy Jr. has her own Sean Sean dynamics where even a servant's dress is too revealing for her. Elaine is too bougie to function. <laughs> and the knave is just <laughs> did, did so you, angry. Did you say bougie or boozy? Bougie. But I, I love that moment where Elaine curtsies to the chef in the kitchen and the chef thinks she's making fun of her because that's how people curtsy to royalty yeah i actually pulled out that exact thing too elaine's confused she's like that's how all the servants curtsy to me back home yeah people don't curtsy that way to the chef yeah elaine you're dumb you poor sheltered princess just go drink one cup of wine nobody needs you here also, this chapter is the culmination of all this Game of Thrones stuff really not playing well. Yeah. Like, they're talking about what guards people would rather have, like, what guards would play more politically well guarding the Panarch versus being in the streets. Like, this doesn't matter to me. No, it doesn't matter to the plot either, because the next time we see these characters, they're leaving. And hey, don't worry about it. We got paid, and that's all that matters. Literally words that didn't need to be there. So Elaine and Eggie Jr. find the Panarch and they rescue her from the black sister that was torturing her. It takes a moment, but eventually Elaine convinces her that they need to sneak out of the palace and regroup. Yeah, the Panarch is somehow even bougier than Elaine. If such a thing is possible. It always is. I think it's worse because the Panarch is like a grown adult, so she should know better. Elaine at least is 16. And then we cut to Nineveh. And this is the better climax of the book. Yeah. Nineveh is in the museum portion of the palace, and as she grabs the male Adam, this character's name shows up. I don't remember what Bion called her. I think it was Spider Lady. 
Is it Spider Lady? You called her Madark Lady, I think. Madark Lady. Lady. That's because it has Mogadian. Mogadian. Mujahideen. Whoa, that one's different. Moggy. Anyway. Madark Lady works. Madark Lady shows up. And the two of them begin to engage. And the Navy gets really mad. Yeah. She gets really mad. They engage in a duel. And the Knave... So here's here's what's great about this. One, Madark Lady is one of the weaker channelers among the Forsaken. So Nenev being equal to her still puts her above any other living Aes Sedai, but it does mean that she's not at the top, top level. However, I think this is also the first time that she's had like a one-on-one battle with another channeler, and so she's having to figure out how you fight someone with channeling as she's doing it with like oh she did this to me maybe i should do that to her it's a cool fight scene all the talk of like weaves and stuff doesn't really do it for me it's like this doesn't mean anything like it like it literally doesn't mean anything but like a lot of people on the forums like gush over it like it's the best thing ever and i don't really understand it so here's, yes, I agree. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. The only time that it works for me is when they're doing the anime thing of how can this be? Where are you drawing all of this power from? Mm-hmm. When, like, somebody grabs Choedan Kal and is, like, unmaking reality or something. That's the only time that it works for me. But when these people are fighting and it's just like... I'm pushing a shield against you, and you're pushing a shield against me, and we're cutting against the shields, and oh no, somebody's shield is gonna hit. It's like, it's funny that this ends with Nenev just, like, taking the Adam and throwing it at Matark Lady. But it's not like, the channeling isn't intense, because you're just reading somebody say how tough it is. As opposed to something like... She staggered under the whiplash recoil like a physical blow, and the forsaken struck with a complex weave of spirit streaked by water and air. Nenev had no idea what it was meant to do. Frantically, she tried to cut it as she had seen the other woman do with a keen-edged weave of spirit. Like, this doesn't mean anything. No, but I bet you it's going to be great in the show. Is it? It's literally invisible. But it won't be invisible to the characters. (laughs) So that doesn't work for me, but the part that does work for me is the bit where Nenave realizes that Mogedian isn't toying with her. She's stalling because she can't beat her. Yes, absolutely. Like, that's a really cool reversal. Yeah, that part is great. Yeah, the only thing that I want to see from this in the show, because honestly, like, there's no way for the show, unless it's just absolutely awful... There's going to be, like, standing there, moving around, staring at each other really intensely. That's almost what I want. I want it to be like a JoJo stand battle, where you're just watching these people stare at each other intensely, and then one of them just explodes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, like, nothing's happening. Like, I hope, to step away from the joke, I hope that it's really good in the show, But also, yeah, like, in the text, it does nothing. It's just... 
I'm trusting you that it's a really complex weave, I guess, and <laughs> nobody ever... So complex. Yeah. There's never a part where Nanave's fighting somebody with the power, and she's like, this person threw a really simple weave of spirit and water at me, and that was really tough. It's like, no, nobody cares. The only thing that you ever throw is complex weave, so why do I care that you ever throw a complex weave? Again, unless it's like the end of the world. Okay. How does this fighting, because so much of it is, like, my imaginary powers, which aren't visible by the naked eye, how much of it is similar to fighting in the dream, where it's all just about how fast your thoughts and concepts can travel? So, the more of the one power that you can draw, the faster and more complex you can weave. With this, it's different, because they can actually see it. So, to them... And you have to actually manipulate the physics of the world, instead of just, like thinking things into happening yeah and because the magic in this system is very elemental based you can imagine even if there's no hand movements involved because they never mention hand movements they are like gathering elements from like the concept of elements in the visual idea of a thread and weaving them together into an attack so visually if you made it look exactly like it's described, I bet it would look really cool. But the difference is that in Teleran Rayad, nothing exists except what you think does. And because when you... It's to the point of, like, when you enter Teleran Rayad, you take for granted that you exist. So you never have to think about it. And your clothes exist, but sometimes your clothes are what you <laughs> are thinking about your clothes looking like instead of what you actually want them to be, and so they change. So in a similar way... Like, if you were to channel in Teleran Riyadh, your channeling works the way you think it does because you take it for granted that that's just how channeling works. Whereas in the real world, you still have to actually do it. Your channeling does actually have to work. Yeah. Which is also sort of a thing because later we see people, like, discovering how to do things with the power that had been lost or people didn't know how to do before. And it's like, I just added a little weave of earth into it that you didn't before, and I could do things you've never done. I was like, that it doesn't make any sense. To be fair, on some level with that, there is some amount of... When somebody like Elaine does something like that and figures out, uh, like, hey, here's how you make a Turangriel. I'm more specifically referring to something that Nene figures out how to heal that no one else has ever done. It's like, oh. I just added some earth and fire. It's like, okay. I would have to finish rereading the series to know how many people can do that, because I know what you're talking about, but it may straight up be one of those things where because the stronger you are in the power, the more weaves you can handle simultaneously, it may just be that nobody else has enough power to put that many things together at once. Sure. Anyways, Nanave throws some chains in the Dark Lady's face and then shields her. And then Mogedian is comically cowardly. Yeah, she does the thing that Asmodian does later on. She's like, I'll do whatever you say. Just don't let the other Forsaken kill me. Yeah. We do get the note here, in case you didn't pick up on it, that the guy that's hanging out with Morgaze is one of the Forsaken. Bion, you look like you don't care. I mean, the, the, the queen's having a hard time. Everybody's having a hard Everybody's time. Everybody's having a hard time. So Nanave was trying to still Madark Lady on the spot, but then now that she's shielded 
she refuses to do so. It doesn't make sense. For no discernible reason. It does not make sense. Isn't it really hard for one person to still another? Except that she was trying to do that mid-battle. Like, they were each at a point where the shields they were throwing would have been stilling. And then now that she has Madark Lady shielded such that she can't fight back, she's like, oh, but I can't still her. That would be wrong. It's like, nah, you get rid of your enemy so the enemy never comes back. It's like, At least Rand has the excuse of being a chauvinist. Yeah. Nynaeve specifically is the one that keeps pushing back against that and being like, women are dangerous too. You should just kill them. And then here she is, not taking that action. Yeah. It made no it's sense It's weird to that me. she would take so much stock in the justice of the tower considering how much she hates Aes Sedai. In yeah. a way, Nynaeve at this point has too much solidarity. <laughs> it just didn't make sense because it felt like, okay, battle 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 and then it pauses and then it just she's just left there kind of like i think it's one of those things that heroes do where they're like if i kill you in a fight that's fine but now that i have you at my mercy executing you would be wrong ew so heroic anyways a black sister levels the palace yeah don't worry about the part where every single person that my dark lady hurts after this point with the power is explicitly your <laughs> fault don't think about that anyway yeah nave tries to leave and encounters one of the black sisters who uses that balefire tarongreel to destroy a chunk of the palace and the nave uses Tavaran powers to knock a hit yeah she uses not canonical Tavarn powers. <laughs> she uses duck and roll. Yeah. So after she escapes, Nynaeve's like, wow, I sure hope Elaine's job went more smoothly than that. Which I think I pulled out because both because when we finish Elaine's section, she thinks, I sure hope Nynaeve's portion went more smoothly than that. It's great that they're both just incompetent. Effectively, they did go pretty smoothly. Yeah. To be fair, that was pretty much the best solution possible, with the exception that, like, maybe... You didn't kill Mogedian. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, assuming that stilling or killing Madark Lady is not an option, the only way it could have gone better is if Nynaeve had been, like, wearing a mask, so that she didn't know what her face looked like. That'll be relevant later. Yeah. I'm using future knowledge. Speaking of the future, chapter 55, Into the Deep. Where racism is solved. Yeah. The Neo-Wonder <laughs> Squad meets back up. <laughs> Neo-Wonder Squad. With Amathira in tow. Yeah, so Aginan slips during a riot and then Nynaeve uh, caught her arm, helped her back up, and got a grateful grin. We're not so different, she thought. Not the same, but not all that different. She did not have to make herself smile encouragingly at the Shan Chan woman. And racism was solved. Aginan is one of the good ones. <laughs> uh, so they fill each other. I'm surprised we haven't heard any, like, slurs for the Shan Chan yet. I guess they haven't really had slurs in this story. No. I can't really think of any. No, and I think that's probably for the best. Speaking of getting delisted. Uh, so after filling each other in on what happened... Tom, Julin, and Domon arrive to get everybody out of the palace and back to the Three Plums Court. When they arrive, they introduce Amethyra as a servant. And she's going to be working for a few days. Yuck, yuck, yuck. Yeah, don't worry, everybody. We solved the bougie problem. 
Also, Agin and Bale Doman are apparently into each other, so the Robert Jordan wheel of random romance strikes once again. Clues eyes throw dart at board. <laughs> but they can only be heterosexual. Pretty much. Yeah, pillow friends exist, but that's only until we can get back to the men. Yeah, this feels pretty damn random. I guess they are both boat people, but... <laughs> Hey, They're not the boatiest of boat people. Hey, have you been on a boat? Yeah, have you been on a boat? Great, I love you. I'm on a boat. <laughs> I'm on a boat and I can't live without you. <laughs> so Amethyr is going to be working for a few days while everybody lies low and waits for these riots to end before they can reinstate order. This is where that Game of Thrones stuff comes around, and I skimmed it. I've skimmed it every time I've read it. I refuse to read this section. I don't even really remember. It doesn't really matter except that, um, like, who was in charge? It's it's basically a lot of incompetent people having power and not wanting to have it. It it didn't feel important. It was just more names that I ignored. Right on. Elaine tries to destroy the male Adam, but it's immune to her channeling. So they decide to have Domon just put it in a bag and drop it in the ocean. And Titanic style. Yeah. Nineveh and Elaine are going to take the seal back to the White Tower. It's a good place to be right now. Especially <laughs> if you are a personal confidant of Suan Sanche. Not in turmoil at all. No. And not, and not the new destination of the amalgamation of evil. No, definitely not. Hey, we're still one chapter away from that. Yeah, hey, some might say the White Tower will be whole again. All sisters are welcome to return. Chapter 56, Golden Eyes. I love that game. Yeah. Wow. I've never played that game. Neither have I. No. <laughs> the whole first quarter... Literally before my time. Yeah. Actually, before our times. The whole first quarter of this chapter is just flavor of Perrin going around Iman's field checking on people. And it's so good. Like, I didn't pull it out because I couldn't read all six pages out loud. But, oh my god, I love all of it. All of the little touches about, like, everybody that's present knows that they're about to die. And Perrin's like, this is exactly how I wanted this to go. I mean, sure. Although it sort of brings up the question where uh, Perrin is talking to the women's circle. And he says, it was not fair what I did with Fael, but I had to. Please understand that. I had to. And then the women are like, any man worth cooking a meal for would have done the same. But would he, though? It seems like all these people are, like, pretty much prepared to die and didn't, like, try and get their combat-ready loved ones out of the town. Don't think about that. Just think about... <laughs> it really didn't make sense, considering how much she wanted to stay. It just seemed like some unnecessarily masculine protection. I asked you to not think about it. It sounds the thoughts like, were already had. It sounds like you're still thinking. I'm sorry. How dare I, mean, I have it's just thoughts? The, to the tone is so grim in the town, and there there's so much highlighting of how even like the women and children are like prepared to fight. But then they're like, no, nah, it's chill that you sent away your well-trained wife. I think the difference is that all of the women that are staying are two rivers people. Fail is from outside... So, like, none of the women that are still there would leave. The only reason that Fail, quote-unquote, would leave is because this isn't her place, but everybody else is going to die here because this is their town. 
Hmm. Sounds like an idea definitely worth buying for. Sounds like an idea I came up with about one second before I started to say it. Also, I'm the type of person that finds it very hard to believe that there's literally anything worth dying for, so... Fair enough. I mean, listen, I wouldn't want to die for anything. I think being alive is pretty chill. (laughs) But you and I have talked for years about how the scenes that always get me are the, like, going off knowing that you are not going to come back alive. It's because you're a romantic. Yeah. Let's move on from this little psychological deep dive. It was not a deep dive. Uh, so once the battle begins, it immediately goes downhill. <laughs> oh, you, you skipped the bit where the white cloaks are about to chicken out, and then they do chicken out. They're like, nah, you're all dark friends anyways. Oh, you're totally right. That does happen before. I thought it was just the part after where Perrin was like, you didn't do anything. No, they double renege on the deal. Yeah, yeah, they try and back out, and parents like, I'll let you arrest me if you stay and fight. And they're like, fine. And then they stay. And they don't. Well, they, they don't help. They don't help. They do stay, but they don't fight. Do you think I do not know by now that these defenses were prepared without you? It was none of your doing, yes? I will not keep my men here to watch you feed your own villagers to the Trollocs. Will you dance atop a pile of their bodies when it's done, Shadow Spawn? Not ours. I mean to live long enough to see you brought to justice. Is this like Ordeeth corruption, or is he like actually this dumb? I think he's actually this dumb. He's a white cloak. When was the last time you saw a white cloak make a good decision? That's what I thought. (laughs) <laughs> also, Varen makes some very ominous statements right before the battle makes it impossible to follow up on them. Yeah, that's our Varen. Oh, Varen. Making the most ominous statements possible. Also, the Trollocs are shouting Isam. Yeah, I wonder what that's about. Also, Trollocs don't talk, except for Narg. Except for Narg. Narg the Trolloc can talk. We stand Narg the Trolloc. <laughs> Uh, so once the battle begins, it goes downhill in one second. The women get involved as soon as the fighting actually gets to the stakes. And something I really liked in here, not that we get too many deaths, uh, which I'm not sitting here like, you know. More deaths, please. Yeah, getting hyped over the stakes and the only stakes that a character can go through is death. But like, it would have lent it more weight if the named characters died. But, like, there are a bunch of name drops in here of characters that we either have seen or are new. But I really like that Perrin it lends it weight that in this battle, there's nobody here that Perrin doesn't know. I mean, there might be, like, a couple from the Outline Farms. But with the number of names that he's rattling off, it's like everybody on the line is somebody that he knows well enough to put a first and last name to during the fight. It made the battle feel much weightier. I liked the women teamwork fighting, like just using the random weapons they had and just beating the crap out of Trollocs. Yeah. So as the battle continues to go in the Shadow Spawn's favor, the fighters of Devon Ride appear. They shower the Trollocs in arrows and break the attack. The two rivers is saved in one paragraph. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> well, really loyal saved them. Well, it was a team effort. If he hadn't closed that way, Yate. Well, maybe if he'd closed it a little faster. (laughs) The two rivers saved. It's great. Fael is there. 
she's like a commander on the horse. It's very cinematic. You can see it. It's very uh, Helm's Deep. So after the fighting, we get a nice little scene with Fayil and Perrin. It's actually a really long scene. It's not a little scene. Before the White Cloaks confront Perrin, and he's an absolute Chad and just, like, yells at them until they leave. All the Two Rivers people are Chads, because they do that thing where Bornhold's about to arrest him, and then literally every single one of them, like, draws their air- their bows on him. He's like, fine. Well, even then, I will say... I will see your head on a spike, Shadow Spawn. I mean, who knows how much of it is just Bornhold fronting. But they do say, like, all of the White Cloaks look super uncomfortable with getting killed by arrows. But Bornhold is still sitting there, like, considering going for it and seeing if he could just take Perrin out. Because it's a personal revenge for him. Yeah. But what's the deal with BR? Like, why does he hate Perrin so much? Because back in book one, Perrin killed those two White Cloaks and BR was there. Cool. Yeah. He's like, how dare you kill these people? How dare you kill two white cloaks that one time that they tried to kill you? If you were a good person, you would have let them kill you. Exactly. After that, Fail is like, can I get some alone time with my man? And then he carries her off with the whole of the two rivers cheering golden eyes. <laughs> They're his hype that men. Must, that, that, that must be an aphrodisiac. Yeah, well... Who knows what they do in Saldea. <laughs> Sexy dances. Apparently so. Uh, finally, we close the chapter on a scene of Ordith thinking about the dagger and other ways that he's going to destroy the Two Rivers and Althor. He gathers up his mind-controlled people and says he's going to Camelin and then to Tarvalin. He's getting the knife back. Thanks, antagonist. Guess who's back? Back again. It's this dagger. <laughs> Grab a friend. <laughs> Knife a friend. Chapter 57, A Breaking in the Threefold Land. This is when Rand blesses the rain down in Africa. Yeah. Uh, So Rand is in the waste. He's accompanied by the Maidens as his guard. Please be excited for the Maidens to be the next main character of the series. And he has the rest of his collected clans on their way to Alcair Dal. It is really cool how they explain why they're watching him, though, with, like, the family, because his mom was a maiden and all that stuff. So just building connections there is nice. Yeah. Yeah, this dynamic is going to be brought up over and over and over again. Yeah, I looked up some... This is just a little fun fact, because I was super hyped that I was almost at the end of the book, so I was getting a little loosey-goosey. I looked up some average alcohol contents of the drinks that are mentioned... And when the Maidens are making fun of Rand because he couldn't walk after taking ten shots of their Usquai, Usquai. he basically took ten shots of Absinthe. And then the Maidens are like... What a weakling. What a, what a nerd. This guy can't even walk. Also, it seems really dangerous for Rand to be getting incapacitatedly drunk. Yeah, maybe don't do that to the guy who's actively going crazy. And could be assassinated by a magic teleporting person at any moment. Don't worry about the fact that every single Forsaken knows how to teleport. Uh, so when Rand arrives, there's a lot of posturing and tension with the Shido dogs. There's like six pages of posture. Oh yeah, it's really bad. Uh, they eventually let him through. 
while the Tarad are singing this sick song in the background about washing the spears. Uh, so when Rand finally makes his way to the gathering of the chiefs, things are still tense. Cooladin is there making trouble as he does. Uncooladin? Yeah, sorry. Uncooladin is being uncool. Rand is about to try and make his case when Uncooladin steps up to the ledge of Alkerdal and starts to make his case that he is the Karakarn. Yeah, he has some rip-off dragon tattoos on his arms. Literally, like, temporary tattoos. He puts some warm water on them. <laughs> I mean, this is a pretty suitable, god fucking damn it, moment, reading it. Yeah. It's like, you can, like, tell all the ways this is going to cause problems, and it's not in any way that's sort of, like, fun to read. No. It's just like, oh, no. No, and that's pretty much exactly the thought that Rand is having at the time. He's like, yeah. oh my god, are you serious? We have to deal with this now. This isn't this isn't going to be a fun plot line. It's like, are you really this uncooladin? <laughs> <laughs> Why's he got to be like that, my dude? Just to make sure you know how uncool he is, he feels the need to shout in that spot where you don't need to shout for everyone to hear you. Yeah, Rand is speaking at a normal tone. I, so that's the thing, is that this scene, devoid of later context, I like. Because you've got Cooladin, like, almost going crazy on this ledge, trying to convince people that he's the coolest, he's going to lead the Aiel into being the he's coolest the people. He's the Karakarniest Karakarn you've ever Karakarned, and Rand is doing this, like, quiet talk that's projecting to everybody. He's actually telling the truth. Like, it's a cool scene. It has stakes and build up and a resolution in that at the end the chiefs are like rand is the guy but knowing that this creates a problem for the next seven books it's not as great seven books on this ish not uh, not ish well i mean the cool uh, never mind the the fact that rand reveals the cultural secrets of these people is now going to be a problem for seven books because he just dropped it super casually like yeah i'm gonna break everything you know about your identity i mean no spoiler like the shido being a problem is a problem for the next seven books so like rand tells them you literally were da shane you you call your slaves guy shane yeah there's probably something to that yeah, that thing that you hate, you were that. Like, the people whose name you won't even speak because you hate them so much. You were all that. Uh, so the chiefs announce Rand as the Karakarn, and the Aiel in Alkerdal begin to fight one another. More like Uncooladin makes people start fighting each other. Yeah, well, they're just pushing and shoving. There's no killing, as far as I know. So as this happens, Rand gets a little, he needs a moment, and the only way he can think to do that is to summon thunder and lightning and make it rain. He blesses the rain down in Alkerdal. <laughs> that works. I've been workshopping it. Uh, so at this point, Lanfear shows up. What Lanfear? She's like, why are you like this? So she and Rand go back and forth for a minute on who's on more layers of Yomi. Uh, for Rand, <laughs> am I wrong? Oh, uh, God. Gross. So Rand opens a doorway in space to skim to Roideon, because Lanfear pretty much told him that that's where Asmodian is and that he should go catch up to him. 
Yeah, the first time reading this, that's a pretty wild moment. It's like, wait, Rand does what? Yeah, now he's just teleporting, I guess. Don't think about it. Although, he's not even doing the right kind of teleporting. What a nerd, teleporting wrong. We'll get to it. Yeah, we'll get to the better teleporting. So chapter 58, The Traps of Roideon. Rand runs up some stairs through the darkness. Then he realizes he doesn't need to run, he's a chump. Yeah. The stairs and platform he's on are reacting to his thoughts, just like in Teleron Riyadh. And then, yeah, he's like, what if I just... He sees Asmodian in the distance, which is what gives him the thought, because Asmodian is just floating on a platform. And Rand, instead of creating a platform, decides that one stair is the correct (laughs) thing to stand on. And so he's now hurtling through the darkness, and the two begin their duel. They're throwing, like, square mile-sized walls of fire at each other, which seems like too much. Uh, before they emerge from... Seems like a time to use Balefire. Yeah, seems like you could solve a lot of problems. I've heard that Balefire is uncounterable. I've heard that there's literally no counter to just throwing Balefire at a Forsaken. Or at a Karakarn. Well, there's reasons the Forsaken don't use it. It does. Like, is, yeah. is there an actual risk that comes with using it because it's so powerful? I've told you, Bion, about the risk. I can tell you, Jesse, it's not really a spoiler, except that, I mean, it it comes up later as to, like, hey, why don't you guys just throw Balefire at him, and they explain. I mean, I know it has permanent consequences for the state of the world, but for the user themselves? No. I mean, except that you exist in the world, so it's generally not cool to destroy it with you in it. It's frowned upon. <laughs> anyway, they're back in reality. In Roideon, there's traps Snap there. Snap back to reality. Yeah. We cut back to reality, and they're engaging in a chase uh, through Roideon while throwing fire and lightning around until they arrive at the Garden of the Angreal. Uh, so I guess this is the difference between male channelers fighting and female channelers fighting. Uh, yeah, men are strong and cool. And make things explode. Yeah, and women are lame and they use spirit and water. Men are cool and they use fire and lightning. (laughs) I'm smashing my action figures together. (laughs) Oh god, Bjorn almost smiled with that. I can see them trying really hard not to. (laughs) Grab your Gundams off the shelf, Tyler. Oh no, don't make me do that. They wouldn't survive me touching them. So they grab the Choedan Kal and begin to wrestle with it. The power to level mountains. The Choedan Kal, by the way, is the crystal-holding Angriel. Yeah. You've been using that term even though they haven't used it in the book yet. Oops. Yeah, that's the name of the male and female one. And those are actually nothing. They're Turangriel that are connected to the giant Saangriel. Don't they just describe it as like a tiny little man statue? Yeah, it's a one foot tall statue of a man holding a crystal sphere. And then there's a female version there. It's so dorky. But it's connected to that massive one by Kyrian. Yeah, the Mm. one that's like the size of a village or something. Mm Mm-hmm. I just find it really ridiculous that, look, this powerful magic, you get your boy doll and your girl doll, and there shall be no blending of the two. So they're actually just smashing dolls together? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. We've solved it. Rafe, call us. (laughs) Uh, So they're wrestling with the doll. I'm sorry, the Choedon doll? It's a doll. 
So there's the power to level mountains thrown around casually, which it turns out isn't an exaggeration. They like actually are smashing mountains around Radeon. And each are only using half of its capabilities. It almost seems like one person with it could like unmake the entire world. Uh, so Rand channels. But someone has a fat man in his pocket. Thank God that Rand has this little fat man on grill. It's so gross. Coming in clutch. Yeah. So Rand pulls out his other doll and starts to channel through that. And then he cuts Asmodian off from the Dark One, which is apparently a thing that exists. <laughs> I guess. Doesn't ever try it again. What a well-defined magic system that people love to gush over for some reason. Yeah. It's not a good one. Like, I don't really get it at all, why people are so in love with it. Sometimes people do cool things with it, but also sometimes Rand just cuts people off from the Dark One, I guess. <laughs> but does can he still channel, though? Yes. He can still channel. He, he's just cut off the telepathic connection between Evil McEvil and the servant who's the weakest servant of the dudes. Yeah, if you want to use those terms for that, yeah. Worst dude servant of evil. He's not, but yeah, go on. He's the worst one that is currently alive. Weakest alive servant to the evil gets cut off from He's mostly also unable to do magic at this point. But that's Lanfear's fault, not Rand's. Because Lanfear's just doing everything. Lanfear wants to make Rand as cool as possible. And so so that's why she gives up Asmodian? Yeah. Because she, she shields him with just enough of a opening in the shield that he can still channel a little bit. And she's like, Asmodian can't channel enough to hurt you, but he can channel enough to show you how to do a weave. And then by the time that the shield dissipates, you can just kill him or make him serve you. And also by the time the shield dissipates, another Forsaken will have probably killed him. Yeah. I've cut off the fangs of this terrifying creature for you. Now play with it. Yeah. Well, no, she needs... She can't teach Rand how to channel because they can't see each other's weaves. Because gender? Because gender. Yes. Yeah, literally because gender. That's actually a point where, not that it becomes interesting, but it is at least different when you get to see men and women channel against each other because there's a lot of like, I hope I'm doing something right. I guess I'll know if I did it right when I don't just burst into flames because they killed me. So yeah, she... The idea is she's setting Asmodian up to teach Rand so that Rand can be powerful enough to kill all the other Forsaken, and then he and Lanfear can rule together. And she's like, Use Choidon Call to become the new Dark One. Choidon Dahl to <laughs> overthrow the Dark One and become gods, basically. Become as gods. Become as gods, because Lanfear, Mirren, has nothing in her heart except a desire for power and also for LTT. So, I mean, the idea that Rand now has, like, a pet Forsaken that is teaching him stuff is a pretty novel concept. Like, actually, it's not novel. It's just kind of wild. Well, listen, it's such a large fixture in the series. I mean, it goes on for so long that... (laughs) Spoiler, it doesn't. It really doesn't. Spoiler, it really does not last that long. After, like, two paragraphs, and then suddenly we get... Seven well, longer than that. Seven books long of describing unnecessary things. I mean, yeah, but not necessarily this. Point is, I would edit so much of this book differently. The pacing is awful, and I hate it. Yeah, like these action scenes are fine if rushed between each of the different Perrin, the girls doing their adventures, and Rand. But it's just like 
why is it so plateau and then a gigantic peak yeah it it doesn't need to is, be this like this book that. is 900 pages long uh not in our app in our app it's 1032 and i think the one that i have physically is also over 1000 and all the events happen in like the last 80 which is awful yeah, yeah structure that's... your story better yeah be better it's called an interest curve look it up sometime anyway there's a moment in here where um rand asks lanfear if she had hurt anyone back at the camp and she's like why do you not want me to hurt people are you some kind of nerd (laughs) and he says i don't want anyone hurt i need them yet i can use them and he says like i'm partially lying but i'm also kind of not about like why he doesn't want lanfear to be hurting anyone but like it's just sort of a bit of a interesting note for the character when we've been so devoid of interesting notes for characters. Yeah, welcome to his arc for the next forever. Darth Rand. Welcome to the Darth Rand arc. Hope you enjoy your stay of I can use these people. As long as none of them are women. The only thing women are good for is dying so he can add them to the list. Also, Rand is really concerned that she's going to hurt Isendra for some reason. I don't know why he cares so much. Who's that one again? That's... Uh, milky soft lady as you call her oh okay does she matter why did you remember based on that i hate that because that's the description we get of her i i might quit the podcast what else description do we have of her that's that's what she's described as oh yeah also we sort of skimmed over that lanfear had been hiding as as fat lady and as Modian had been hiding as Jason the Tail, the Gleeman, which is the information that the peddler was going to sell the Rand in return for being absolved of his crimes. Yeah. It's like, I want out, but every time I try to get out, they just keep pulling me back in. <laughs> it doesn't seem like necessarily useful information because Rand says he noticed the whole time along that she was following. But he doesn't. Yeah. But he guessed that she was the other one. Oh. Yeah. So this becomes a new game in the series, like who's the for- which new character is a Forsaken? Yeah, because they show earlier in the previous book when Lanfear shows up in the White Tower and she's pretending to be Pigtail Chewer, that the Forsaken know how to make themselves look like other people and that they can do that without anyone noticing that they're channeling. Ooh. They have some sort of way to do that. My evil genjutsu. Basically, <laughs> an evil genjutsu. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's because you showed me those Naruto memes earlier today. They, they were pretty. Anyway, so at this point, Lanfear leaves. Rand grabs both of the Choedon uh, dolls, and he and Jason Tail skim back to Alcare doll. When they arrive, they find that about a quarter of the Aiel that were present just walked away. Yeah, the revelations were too much for them. Pretty much all of the Shido and also some from the other clans just dropped their spears and walked off. They There's a term that they use for this, but I completely forget what it is. Something like the bleakening? Yeah. <laughs> Rand decides... Yeah, it's, it's dark stuff. <laughs> Rand decides that they're going to wait for more Aiel to arrive and that it's time for the next step of the journey. We did it. Longest book down. Yay. I don't know. 12 might be almost as long. Was this book new and exciting when it was being written? I'm sure. 
I am. I can almost guarantee that this entire series suffers from Seinfeld isn't funny. Yeah, this is a thirty-year-old series. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, because anything contemporary that we would have been reading growing up as like young adult fantasy would have been, I don't know, around the time of book like seven or eight. Mm. So it was already probably have had similar problems. In fact, I'm going to look it up. Okay. So this came out three years before any of us were even born. So like, yeah, this is, you know, ahead of its, not ahead of its time, but it's like before everything that we read in our time was informed by this. I'm looking up fantasy books that came out in 1992. Probably some Dragonlance. Maybe like the first Tamora Pierce. I don't even know how old Tamora Pierce I thought she was older than that. I mean, she might be older. Well, this is going to play... Oh, wow. She's really old. Wow. This one isn't formatted very well. So the first one, the first book, is in 83. Yeah, that's what I thought. Like, she was from the 80s. Well, but so is... I mean, Wheel of Time, the first one was in 90, right? Yeah, but this says 83. I think we're just saying that, like... A lot of his problems are just emblematic of old fantasy. Yeah. That's I, true. B- because remember, you have books that you were like, this book is great. And then I went back and read them in the past six months and I was like, this is trash. I don't think you've read these recently enough. Yeah, that's why I'm resisting rereading some of the books I thought I really liked. And that's perfectly fine. I'm just pointing but out. But we're reading Wheel of Time now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, it's just something to think about in my own perspective and judgment. For the so next few months, we're literally not reading Wheel of Time now. We're reading what? We're reading some other dude's books. Brand that guy. Brandor Sandor. Yeah, that one. We're reading The Way of Kings. Professionally known as Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive. Yeah, we're reading The Way of Kings. It's going to be a bit of a palate cleanser. We're going to swap back and forth. Yeah, hopefully it'll work out. By the time we're out of Brandon Sanderson books that are relevant to the Cosmere, we'll be done with the bad part of Wheel of Time. (laughs) You know, the next seven to eight books, depending on how you count them. I mean, the next two books, the next book is all right. The book after that is pretty good. And then I just finished listening to Crown of Swords and that book literally had like two plot points. Yeah, I think I texted you that I read seven, eight, and nine in like a week total. Because there's right. nothing that happened. must have been really bored. I was extremely bored. I was on a beach and there was nothing to do. Was... Wow, what a shitty place to be. <laughs> it's not relevant. Anyway, so we're going to be taking a bit of a break from this old and busted series. And... Dusty. It's very dusty. We're going to read Wave Kings instead. But I think we're... Taking a week off as per usual. And we're going to have a bit of a filler episode in between. Yes. If you're interested in niche horror podcasts, then we have an episode for you. Yeah. If if your interests line up at the perfect terminus of Wheel of Time, Stormlight Archives, and horror podcasts, gosh, you have stumbled on the right feed, my friend. Join us in our weird interests. Join us in the dark. Where we slither. That's a Fire Emblem reference. That's so bad. I'm ending this podcast. We need to stop. We need to be stopped. Jesse, where can people find us? People can find us on our Twitter, at Wheel Reading. I'll have the link in the description. I've been sort of lax about tweeting out new episodes, but I'm going to 
try and get back on the horse of, you know, keeping it updated, posting some nice promo videos. I notice a good bump when we do that. Speaking of which, if you were to leave a review on iTunes or your podcast service, we really love to hear from people that listen, and it helps people find the podcast. Sick. Well, this has been The Third Wheel. I'm Tyler. I'm Bjorn. And I'm Jesse. And we'll see you next time.